0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Go ahead and grab a seat, everybody. Good morning. Good morning Kevin. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life, and I have been growing a beard for three weeks now. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I, I don't think we need to laugh about that. Uh... Here's why I mentioned that. Week three is about the time that people start to notice. And usually you come up to me uh, and you you say something to the effect of, Kevin, are you okay? Did you get enough sleep? You look upset. Because when I grow a beard, it kind of looks frowny. I kind of look like this a little bit. So, So I just want you to know I am okay. I am happy. And that was smile extra big this entire time, just so you know. But I want to tell you why I'm growing a beard. Uh, About three weeks ago, actually three weeks ago, Monday night, I I was praying, and God, I just sensed him bringing some big stuff to my mind. Eight areas where I want to be praying some big prayers. Uh, And I got a sense from God that it wasn't just um, pray once and be done, but that God wanted me to continue to pray in these eight areas. Some are personal for me, some for my family. A lot of them are for you and for our church community and for our city at large. And I got this crazy idea uh, that, well, what if I just don't shave again until Easter? And every time it gets scratchy or I look in the mirror, it just reminds me to pray. I can tell you I've never prayed as much as I have over the last three weeks because this is killing me. it's killing me. And my wife hates facial hair. And so I, it took me three days to get up the courage to say to her, uh, I didn't just forget to shave. I'm actually going to keep this for like three months. And um, I said, honey, um, I don't want to say God told me to do it, but I have an idea that I think God kind of inspired. And so I shared it, and she said, Kevin, that is the only good reason for you to ever grow a beard. So, uh, it's just so you know, I'll share those eight things uh, in our next series that we're calling Greater, that with God, greater things are possible, and, and how God's been inspiring me uh, to have a prayer adventure with Him. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite our church to a prayer adventure with God. It's going to be very, very fun. So just get ready. I'll share more about that with you coming up on February the 15th when we launch that series. But just so you know, I am very happy. I just have a bit of a frowny beard. So for what it's worth, uh, if, you're, if you're brand new, if you're brand new, uh, I want you to know that I believe you're here for a reason. I think God has plans for you today. You might think you just found us on accident, or a coworker invited you, or a friend invited you. I believe you're here intentionally, because as a church, we believe that God— moved heaven and earth to connect with you and that his great desire is to meet you today right where you are and that God can actually change everything in an instant as you engage with him. We believe that to such an extent that, that we want to knock down any barrier that would keep you from connecting with God, which is why I always say, if you, if you want to bring in some coffee, bring in coffee because I care more about, about you feeling comfortable and engaging with God than I do about carpet stains. If you want to kick off your shoes, kick off your shoes. I just want you to engage with God. We sometimes say, we'll do anything short of sinning to help you connect with God at New Life. And as we're we're throwing open the doors, man, we're seeing God move in powerful ways. He is just drawing people to himself like we've never seen in the history of our church. I'm going to share something with you, and then you're going to want to clap. So I'm just warning you, when I say it, you will want to clap. But before I do that, I need to give um, a public service announcement. We are talking about a topic today, That is absolutely appropriate and absolutely age appropriate if you are, I would say, somewhere in the the sixth grade and beyond range. Now, if you're here and you're a parent and your kids are in here and they're they're in less than sixth grade, we have great age-specific ministries for them. And in about a few minutes, five minutes, I'm going to start the message. Now would be the time to get them to the right place but if you want to keep them with you, that's great. I think it's never too early to talk about the topic we're talking about, and I promise I won't embarrass you, but I might speed up your plan to have this conversation <laughs> by a few years. So you've been you've been warned. All right, I'm going to say something, and then we're going to erupt in applause about what God's doing. Last weekend was a holiday weekend, and last weekend was one of, if not the, largest attended Sundays in the history of our church last weekend on a holiday weekend. It's pretty exciting. I'm telling you, God is on the move. He's drawn people to himself because God's love is irresistible. Um, we had almost, I think we had 627 people come last weekend to one of our three Sunday services. Here's the thing, second service, um, 355 of the 627 were in this service. So I need to talk to you about something, uh, and this is a good thing. Go ahead and grab this card that says, start here. It's our connection card. Put your name on it, and if you're new, would you put your email address on it? And then I just want to do a little community business while you're, you're getting your family where they need to be right now. On the back, under the red part where it says, sign me up for life group, and there's a blank, which if you're not in a life group, look at the programs uh, in front of you and find a life group. You're going to love it. Underneath that, um, we are finding, just look around for a second, we are kind of at capacity right now in this service. There's got to be at least almost 300 people right here in this room right now. If you came in even at uh, 9.55 or 10 o'clock, the parking lot is filling up. Your kids' rooms are filling up. And here's the thing. Um, We're not going to have space for more people to come in that God is inviting into our church unless we create some space in here. So here's what I want to ask you to do. And this is an invitation, not an expectation. Okay? It's an invitation. If you love 10 o'clock, but your family gets up early. We're talking 6, 7 o'clock, and you would be open to moving to the 8.30 service. Man, that would be a gift to the people who come to the 10 o'clock service, specifically our friends who are coming for the first time to create some space for them. Or if it's a struggle to get here at 10 o'clock, but you make it happen, you get up more like at eight thirty, nine, and you rush your way over here by 10, would you consider coming to the 11.30 service? Sleep in, stay out late. I know some of you party animals on Saturday night sleep in, man. Enjoy it. And then maybe come to the 1130 service so we can create some space in here because I want God to keep doing in our community what God wants to do. But that means that that for us, it means making some space. So on the back of your card, it says, and I'm just going to ask for like three months, not forever, but for three months. It says, I will attend the 830 service or I will attend the 1130 service. Now again, this is an invitation, not an expectation. I'm not running out I'm just asking, would you consider to create some space so we can have a little more space in this service for more people to come in? If you would do that, would you just mark that on your card? Um, If you need to talk about it when this gets boring, just talk to your spouse. That's fine. Otherwise, uh, just mark it right now. Just make that commitment. That would be fantastic because we want to create space for God to do what God wants to do. Uh, He's already doing it, and it's pretty exciting. So uh, that's one thing. We'll turn these in in the baskets in a little bit later, but if everybody just gets that ready, that'd be great. Uh, The other other thing you're going to want are teaching notes. I titled this message, Don't be a soap opera statistic, and I'll tell you why in just a second. But go ahead and get those teaching notes out. They've got your Bible verses on them. They've got some fill-in-the-blanks. And on the back, they have some questions for your life group, because all of our life groups are community-based in terms of forming friendships, but we study the message from the previous week. And so these are just questions that you can go through throughout the week to take what we learned today to a whole nother level. So you'll want to take those home with you and fill that out as well. Uh, Well, we are in week four of a series that we're calling ask it. And the entire series is focused on one question because we found that there's a common denominator in all of our our greatest regrets, our biggest failures, in all of those uh, areas in life that we wish we could have a do-over, but we know that we can't. There's one common denominator and it's that we forgot to ask one question. and We're calling this ask it, the one question that answers almost every other question question. And here's the big question. If you've missed the last few weeks or you're brand new with us, the big question is simply this. What is the wise thing to do? We're not talking about right or wrong. It's better than right or wrong. We're not talking about legal or illegal because, listen, we've all done things that were legal that we regret doing. It was that spring break trip in college. It was that one night out. It was that, it was that one phone call, that one Facebook connection. We've all done things that were perfectly legal, but we regret doing them afterwards. We're asking, what's the, what's the wise thing to do? And we're asking it for six weeks because I want us to ask it for the rest of our lives. And so we're hammering it in. And then to kind of flesh it out a little bit, we're looking at it in three different dimensions In light of my past experience, because we said your past is uniquely yours. It's not hers. It's not his. It's not theirs. It's yours. In light of my past experience, what's the wise thing for me to do? In light of my current circumstances and what's going on right now, vocationally, relationally, stage of life, what's the wise thing to do? And in light of my future hopes and dreams in light of where you want to be in 20 years, 30 years, 40 years? What's the wise thing to do today? And today I I want to explore this concept that I believe it's a bad idea to assume that if there's nothing wrong with something, it's automatically right. It's a bad idea to assume that if there's nothing wrong with something, it's automatically right. Remember, we've been saying that, that some of our worst decisions, our, our biggest wrong choices, didn't start out as wrong decisions. They started way back here as unwise choices. And we made a series of unwise choices that marched us to a life-changing wrong decision, to a, to a relationship-ending wrong decision. But it didn't start out as a wrong decision. It started out as an unwise choice. And that idea is maybe truer in no other area More than our sexuality and expressions of our sexuality. So what I want to do today is I want to I want to explore this idea that just because there's nothing wrong with something doesn't mean it's necessarily right. And to do that, I want to confess something to you. I grew up loving Beverly Hills 90210. Do I have any other Beverly Hills 90210 fans in the room? Come on, products of the '90s, guys. I know you watched it. Come on now. Okay, okay. How about before that, it was Melrose Place. I know we got some Melrose Place fans in here. Before that, if you're a generation uh, beyond that, just think like soap opera. General Hospital, uh, Days of Our Lives, uh, Young and the Restless. I shouldn't know these, but I do. Um, it, and more currently, it'd be a show like Parenthood or Gossip Girl, you know, something like that. Okay, okay yeah, I just got somebody there like, huh? Yeah, okay. All right, yeah, now we're... Having fun. I want you to picture your favorite show because they all have a a similar theme, the similar storyline that will happen at some season in your favorite soap opera type show. And here's here's the scenario: There's a happy couple. You like this couple in the show. They're they're the steady Eddie. They're the they're the couple that you really you're rooting for in the show. And then one day, at her job, a new guy comes to work. He's a good looking guy, probably clean shaven, hasn't grown a beard for three weeks. and they get put on a team together, on a task force, and they're working together. And so they go out to lunch, and listen, there's nothing wrong with lunch, right? They're just enjoying lunch together, and, and they have to work late uh, for this job that they're working together. And so one night is they're working late, you know, everyone leaves the office, and they say, well, we, we're hungry. We need to eat to keep our brains going. So they go out to dinner together, and, and, and there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with going out to dinner together. And they're forming a friendship as they're working together, because you always form a friendship when you spend time with people. That's why we say get in a life group, spend some time with people, form a friendship, and they form a friendship. And, and, and at home, she and her husband, they're having just kind of some, some regular marital stuff, just need some tune-ups. But, but she goes to him, and she kind of confesses and confides in this new guy about some of the problems in their marriage. Now, listen, there's nothing with confiding in someone about some struggles in your marriage. Um, you know, she could say this, well, listen, I could either talk to him or I could go to counseling, you know, but I'm going to save $100 a week and I'm just going to talk to him. I've been through Financial Peace University and I want to be wise with my money, so I'm going to save the money. There's nothing wrong with confiding in someone. This, they, they get ready to leave at the end of that night if they've been confiding and, and she just gives them a hug. And listen, there's nothing wrong with hugs. We are a hug in church. I, I tell people all the time, It's an occupational hazard of being your pastor that I get sick every single season because I hug all you sickies all the time, okay? You're like, there's nothing wrong with hugs. There's nothing wrong with hugs. And then one day, it's the weekend, and she knows where he lives, and she's driving to the grocery store or something, and she drives by his house, and she thinks, I'm just gonna stop in and say hi. And listen, there's nothing wrong with stopping in and saying hi. We like stopping in and saying hi. We're a friendly community. We stop into each other's houses all the time. Nothing wrong with that. She knocks on the door, and he opens it, and they give each other a, a quick hug as the as the scene fades out and the credits start to roll now now if you're watching this show what are you thinking right now you're thinking no don't do it don't go inside i know what's going to happen what why are you thinking that they haven't done anything wrong but you and i know watching the show it's because there's it's because it's not wrong. It's a bad idea to assume that it's necessarily right. Now, let's get a little more specific because I don't want you to be a soap opera statistic. Let's get a little more specific. How about if it's your best friend and you love your best friend and you love her husband and you love their kids and you want the best for their marriage and you see her walking down a path and you say to her, I just, I just see something happen," and She says, listen, there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. And you, you would say, I know there's nothing wrong, but it just doesn't seem right, right? Can I meddle a little more? What if it's you? Remember, I said on week one, the easiest person to deceive is the person that you look in the mirror at every single day. And you can say all day long, there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. And yet it's a bad idea to assume that just because something isn't wrong, it's necessarily right. And that's especially true as relates to our sexuality and expressions of it. And here's why because there's so much gray area when it comes to our sexuality and expressions of our sexuality. This topic is is so easy with this topic in particular to walk right up to a cliff without ever knowing you're getting to the edge of a cliff that you do not want to fall down. It's so easy to walk right on the edge without ever realizing you're on the edge until you fall off a cliff that you cannot get back up. And I want to say this, it's fine, it's fine to walk on the edge in the things that don't really matter in life. If you're a calorie counting kind of person, listen, you eat as many calories as you want. You walk up to that edge, baby. You you take Jenny Craig and Weight Watchers for all they're worth. You get right to that edge. Because if you go over a few calories one day, it's no big deal. If you're a high schooler in here right now, you're gonna wanna take notes on this. And you've got a curfew. Listen, you walk up to the edge of that curfew, baby. You stay out as late as you can. You walk to that edge. Because what's the worst that could happen? You're a few minutes late, you get grounded for a week, you learn your lesson, you move on. How about this? You've got a clothing budget. You walk to the edge. You spend every last penny in that budget. That's fine. You walk up. You want that pair of jeans. You start flipping your dollar bills saying, this is what I can give you. This is in my budget. What are you going to do for me? Because listen, if we cross over the edge when it comes to our clothing budget and spend a few extra dollars, it's no big deal. But in the areas of life that matter the most, relationships, parenting, sexuality, man, you and I know there are certain cliffs... And if we fall off that cliff, there's no climbing back up. If we go over that edge, it's like climbing Everest to regain the trust that we broke from that one decision. Now, with all that in mind, if there really is a God who loves you, who's like a perfect heavenly father, who doesn't want your life to go like this, but actually wants your life to go like this. What do you suppose that God would say about your sexuality? What do you think he would say? Well, we get some insight into his thoughts uh, from a letter written by this ancient man named Paul. And if you're new to the church, Paul started out hating Christianity, hating Christians. He went around destroying churches, pulling pastors out of worship services, and throwing rocks at them until they died, and throwing them in prison. He hated Christians. And then one day he met Jesus, and it changed everything. And so I warn you when you come in here, listen, today could be the day that God grabs a hold of you and changes everything. Just be aware that God's in the business of transforming our lives as we encounter him. And I'm praying that he'll, he'll grab you today. So, so, so God grabbed Paul. He changed his life and Paul went from hating Christians and killing churches to planting churches all around the ancient world and what he would do is he would go into a, a city center and he would tell people about Jesus and then a small group of people would give their lives to Jesus they'd transfer their trust from themselves over to God and he'd say, okay you guys start a church and then he'd go on to the next city and start doing the same thing and the way he stayed in contact was he would write letters back to the churches because he'd hear things are going great or things are difficult or we need some information we need some leadership so he'd write these letters and send them back to the churches and one of the letters is a letter called the letter to the Corinthians because it was written to a group of people in a place called Corinth. Now, Corinth was like Vegas on steroids. What happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. Corinth was sexually out of control. They had gods and goddesses like every other ancient city, but their main goddess was the goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And the way that you would worship Aphrodite is you would go to the temple of Aphrodite that you would find in Corinth. It was a beautiful structure, a huge, beautiful temple. And you would go and you would have sex with one of the thousand temple prostitutes that stood outside the temple of Aphrodite. That's how you worshiped. That's how, how sexually mixed up these people were. And Paul heard about what was going on in Corinth that actually it wasn't just happening in the city, but the church was just as bad as anybody else. So he writes this letter to the Corinthian church saying, saying this is what God wants you to do in the relationship of your sexuality if you want your life to go like this. If you want to have less regret, and more joy. And this is what he says in verse 18 of Corinthians chapter 6. He says, flee from sexual immorality. And that, that little word flee, uh, it means run away, run away, run away. It's run away from sexual, run away. I like that. You can say it if you want to. We're going to say that a lot today. Run away from sexual immorality. Now, let's just pull over to the side of the road for a second and be honest. Every parent wants your 17-year-old son or daughter to do that, right? Run away from sexual immorality. Every wife in this room wants your husband to do that. Every husband in this room wants his wife to do that. Every 17-year-old boy wants his 13-year-old sister to run away from sexual immorality, don't we? We know that's good advice for everybody else, but sometimes we wonder if that's good advice for us. Why? Because the easiest person for me to deceive is the person I look in the mirror at every single day. But you know that's good advice because you want that for every single person that you love. So he says, sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. If you're new to to Christianity, here's kind of a working definition of sin. Sin is the things that we think or that we say or that we do, and they're hurting us. And in the moment you do it, you might not think it's hurting you, but if you do it long enough, you'll see it actually is hurting you. And it's hurting the people you love And ultimately, it is separating us from God. That's what sin is. And Paul says sexual sin is in a category all of its own. It's not like anything else. Not because it's worse than anything else. It's just different than everything else. Paul says sexual sin tends to linger longer than pretty much anything else. It seems to have a longer lasting effect on relationships than almost any other sin. It seems to have a bigger impact on us and the people we love than almost any other sin. And and here's why. Here's why. The Corinthians viewed sex a lot like our culture today views sex, primarily as a physical act. But listen, you're smart people. That's why you come to New Life. You want to be challenged every week to grow and to think deeply and to live the life you were created to live. You are some of the smartest people I know. And you know as well as I do that sex isn't primarily a physical act that our sexuality is connected to our identity our sexuality is connected to our identity how you view yourself is connected to your sexuality how we view others is connected to our sexuality and when we misuse our sexuality paul says it does something unlike any other sin And it's not about forgiveness. God can and will forgive anything that we do when we surrender our lives to him. When we say, God, I'm done trying to live this on my own. I want to live this with you. But Paul would say, but there are consequences around sexual sin that go to a whole other level of regret. So he says, run away from sexual immorality. And then he zooms way out. He says, here's why you should do it, and here's how you should do it. And before we jump in, I'll just say this. Whether you're a Jesus follower or not, that verse, verse 19, is just good advice. If you want to have a healthy marriage, if you want to raise your kids to have a healthy life, if you want a life of less regret, you and I both know we should run away From sexual immorality. But then he goes on to talk to Jesus followers, and he says, If you're a Jesus follower, it actually goes a whole level deeper than just having less regret in life. And here's what he says in in verse 19 He says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Paul says something happened when you transferred your trust from yourself to God, and here's what happened. Two things. One, God purchased you. He paid the penalty for your sin. He took your debt that you and I could not pay on our own, and in response to God purchasing us, we gave our lives to God in return. And here's the great thing about it. See, when we gave God our lives, he has better dreams for your life than you do. He has bigger hopes for your life than you do. He sees greater things than you could ever see about your own life because he created you to live the life that he has for you. So we give our life to God, and then he just makes it better. So he, he purchased us. And Paul says, and God put his spirit inside of you that when we transfer our trust from ourselves to God, His Spirit actually comes to live in us. God is living in us. And that's why we can live the life we were created to live. By the way, if you're here and you're not a Jesus follower, that's why you lay in bed at night and you think to yourself, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to say that again. I'm never going to go there again. I'm never going to look at that again. And then a week or a month or a year later, you're, you're saying that, you're going there, you're looking at that, you're doing the exact same thing you swore. I'm never going to do it again. Paul would say this, it's because sin is ruling your life. But when you transfer your trust from yourself to God, that sin that was ruling your life is replaced by God's Spirit ruling your life. And when God's Spirit rules your life, He doesn't just tell you what to do. He gives you the ability to do it because God is living inside of you. Therefore, He says, therefore, because God purchased us, because God is transforming us by His Spirit living in us, therefore, glorify God with your Bodies. And it goes way beyond. It goes way beyond doing right by your husband or doing right by your wife. It goes way beyond saying, Well, can I can I do this with my girlfriend or do that with my boyfriend? Where's the line? How do I I I spent six years doing college ministry? I can't tell you how many times an 18, 19, 20-year-old would come up to me and say, Well, how far can I go with my girlfriend or boyfriend? Like, what's the line? And I would say, you're asking the wrong question because if you focus on the line, eventually you're just going to cross the line. I don't care what the line is. You're just staring at the wrong thing. He doesn't say, don't, don't look at the line. Don't ask, how much can I get away with and still, and still be doing right by my wife? He says, it's better than that. It's bigger than that. Remember, God is, is not for you. God is against you. So here, here's, the, here's the wise question as it relates to our sexuality. Am I glorifying God with my bod? Am I glorifying God with my bod? That's the question. Am I glorifying God with my, yeah, that's, that'll stick, with my bod? Not, have I crossed a line? Not, am I going to get caught? That's the wrong question. Am I glorifying God with my bod? Now here's what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, you literally just took all the fun out of life. But I have a question for you if you think that. If you spent 1 year glorifying God with your body, at the end of that year, do you think you'd have more fulfillment in life or less? If you spent 1 year glorifying God with your body, at the end of that year, do you think you'd have more regret or less? Remember, God's not against us. He is for us, and God seems to think that if we can glorify him with our bodies, it will actually lead to less regret and more fulfillment in life. And isn't it true that a lot of us, if we're totally honest, we trace our biggest regrets back to the misuse of our sexuality, the misuse. We just weren't glorifying God with our body. So what do we do with this information? Well, I would say we ask our question. In light of my past experiences, what's the wise thing to do? In light of the fact I'm single right now, and I've had a string of unhealthy sexual encounters that have left me broken and heartbroken, and regretful and in pain. In light of that, what's the wise thing to do? In light of the fact that I'm recently divorced. And my emotions are all upside down and I'm having to rethink what the next 30 years are going to look like because I had a plan for my life when I got married and that plan got shattered the day I signed the divorce papers. I'm not asking, is it your fault or her fault or his fault or whoever's fault? I'm just saying, let's be honest. When we go through that divorce, it is heartbreaking. And you're trying to figure out how do I, how do I start a new dream after the loss of that dream? In light of, of that, what's the wise thing to do? And I'm going to suggest something. And this isn't God, this is, this is me. I'm just going to suggest what I did. In college, I had a two-year relationship, and, and I, I was in love with this girl. I was in love with her, and, and she was in love with me. But through a series of my choices and her choices and our actions, she ended up breaking up with me, and she broke my heart. I remember crying all semester long and being in my room by myself, and the only redeeming thing about that was I got the best grades. I made the dean list one time in college. It was that semester because I wasn't trifling with girls. So, but that's another story. But in the midst of my heartbreak, I was talking to one of my pastors and she said to me, Kevin, when was the last time you were single? And I listen, I was a serial monogamist up until that point. So literally from about fifth grade on until I was 20, I never went more than about two months without having a girlfriend. Two months. She said, Kevin, I think you need to do a reboot. I think you need to take a year off from dating. And in that time, allow God to show you what he thinks about you show you how he views women, show you how he views relationships. And so I, I did. I took a year-long reboot. And just a, just a heads up, that year turned into almost four years of singleness in my early 20s when all my friends were falling in love and all my friends were getting married. And I was this like, I felt like a, a loser. I'm not dating anybody. I'm not, whatever. But in that four years, you know what God did? He showed me who I was. He healed me of my sexual brokenness. He showed me who he was. He showed me how to understand women and interact with women in a healthy, honoring way. And the next woman I dated was my wife, Maria. And I knew pretty quick that she was the one, because I knew what I was looking for. I, I knew what God said about sexuality. I, I knew what I wanted in a relationship. And I'm convinced based on a long history that would point that direction if i had just gone from relationship to relationship to relationship i would have dated maria and i would have screwed it up because i'd screwed up all the other ones before that so i want to ask you if you're single right now would you consider potentially and i don't know but based on your past experience is it time for you to take a reboot take a reboot and allow god to to shape you in your singleness and listen, I know maybe in a room the size, maybe one of you will take me up on that, and that's fine. But I want to talk to that one person for a second. Here's what I, I believe. Just for that one person, whoever you are, I just want to talk to you. I believe God's going to transform your life when you do it. And I believe that somewhere in the next two or three months, you're probably going to find the guy of your dreams or the girl of your dreams. Just a heads up. I have a friend who I was mentoring when he was a college student, and he had the same path as me. So I said, What if he just took a year-long reboot? He chose to do it. Three months later, he met this girl, and he was crazy about her, and she is awesome. But he said, you know what? I'm going to honor this commitment I made to be single. So for seven more months after, no, uh, eight, whatever it was, whatever the math is, I'm a preacher, not a math guy. I only have 10. He stayed single for however long it was. Guess what? He's married to her. They have two kids. Why? Because he allowed God to reboot. So maybe, maybe, maybe that's for you. Whoever you are, maybe that's for you. How about this? Based on my my current circumstances, what's the wise thing for me to do? If you're here right now and you're married and you're going through one of those rough patches that couples go through over the course of a 60-year marriage where you feel like He's not meeting your needs. She's not meeting your needs. You're not communicating well. You feel like roommates taking care of kids as opposed to passionate lovers that you were when you first got married, and and the passion is dying out. I want to talk to you for a second. If you're going through a rough patch right now, your natural tendency will be to start looking around. Looking around at old flings from Facebook, looking around at work, looking around at the grocery store, looking at pornography. Your tendency is going to be to look around. Look around. And I, I want to say this, because anytime we have a talk like this, it's super easy for churches to swing the pendulum and say, this is why men and women should be separate. You should never—no, that is ridiculous. I believe to my core that we are actually better in multi-gendered situations, that men and women together learn more, grow more, understand God more. I'm not saying separate out. That is the wrong application. In fact, I believe that God— designed us to learn from each other across genders so deeply that I believe that's one of the reasons why God invites women and men to take every level of leadership within the church because we, we grow better together and we're better as a church together than we would be separately. But I am saying this, if you're going through a rough patch right now, you know you. You know that you've got that little feeling down here when you see him or you see her. And if you know that, are they the wise person they can fight in? What's the wise thing for you to do? You know that you feel isolated. And when you feel isolated, is it wise for you to get online and look at Facebook and try to find some old friends, some old friends? Or to look at pornography. Do you think that's going to make you feel less isolated? What's the wise thing for you to do based on your current circumstances? And finally, based on my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing for me to do? Now, I want to talk to you if you're single right now. And you could be single in junior high, You could be single in high school. You could be single in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Anybody who's single, I just want to talk to you for a second. I want to ask you one question that fundamentally changed the way I viewed expressions of my sexuality. When you fall in love, and you have to have that conversation with your future husband or your future wife, what do you want to tell them about your sexuality? Because we all have that conversation. And do you want to have to say, hey, I need to go get tested because I've been with more people than a football team. Is that what you want to (laughs) say? Or, or do you want to say, I waited for you. I waited for you. Now listen, I screwed up a lot of stuff in my sexuality, but when it came to having sex, I was able to say to my wife, I waited for you. Man, that felt good. Now, said that last service and it got real quiet and I know why it did because there are very few of us in this room who can who can say that and that's okay listen that is okay God is not concerned about condemning you for your past he's concerned about inspiring you to your future so if you can't say that and you're regretting that let it go please let it go and say God transform my future I'm not concerned with my past I want your future for my life And don't get sad about what was, be excited about what is and what will be, because God's in the business of transforming lives and changing stories. So maybe you have to say something to them about what happened back then, but now you can say, but I encountered God, and look what's happened since then. And you want to celebrate that, and I want to celebrate that with you. But what do you want to say to them? What do you want to say? If you're married, what do you want it to look like when you're 80? I was talking to a guy, he and his wife, Our our new lifers have been for years. They've been married for 65 years. And he said to me after first service, Pastor Kevin, I answered that question over 60 years ago. And I said, and that's why I love spending time with you. Because that's inspirational. Because that's what God can do over the long run. Based on what you want 80 to look like, what's the wise choice to make in the day-to-day grind of marriage? What's the wise choice? Here's your your final objection, and then we'll wrap our time up. You're thinking right now, nobody is doing this. Nobody's doing this, pastor. That's funny, kind of edgy. Didn't think I'd hear about this in church, but okay, we'll go there. But nobody's doing this, and I want to tell you, you're right. No one is doing this, but that's just a statement of fact. It is not an argument. That's just a statement of fact. What you're actually saying is this, Kevin, no one's doing this, and I want to be just like everybody else. But I don't think you do want to be like everybody else, do you? Listen, you're smart. You want great things for your life. You don't want everybody else. You want God's best. I don't think you want what everybody else has got. And I know, and I know that God wants better for you than everybody else. I know that. Because if God would leave heaven and come to earth and give his life on a cross to pay for your sin once and for all because he loves you, wouldn't it make sense that he wants better for you than the average and if you're here today and you've never transferred your trust from yourself to a loving heavenly father, I want to invite you do it today. Allow God to to love you in such a way that it just transforms you from the inside out. Allow God's Spirit to move in you. And it happens when you say, God, I'm done doing it on my own. I want to do it with you. I want to live life with you. I want to take this journey with you. And if you're here and you've never made that decision, we're going to pray in just a second. And I'm going to give you a chance to do that. Or maybe you're here and you were raised coming to church, but you haven't gone for a long time and you've been disconnected from God. And today's the day for you to recommit your life to God. You can pray with me as well. Would you join me? Let's, Let's pray together. I want to tell you, God could not love you more than he does right now. And he's inviting you to, to enter into a relationship with himself. And if you're ready to do that, you can repeat this simple prayer of commitment to God. Just say, say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me. And I believe that you gave your life to pay for my sin. Today I say, yes. Yes, I want a relationship with you. So would you come into my life would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every day from this day forward into eternity? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.